Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 405 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I chat to David Hulgard of Versus Evil about the trials and tribulations of being a publisher for video games created by small teams of people, i.e. indies. Wait a minute. A publisher? You're interviewing a publisher. This is about the making of games, Chris. The Sausage Factory is about the making of the sausage. That's the point of the show. I've been doing this for nine years. You'd think I'd know that, but, well, that's true. But how does one get it into one's people's hands? These extraordinary acts of creation are difficult to make, let alone release and get sold and published and, well, marketed, distributed. These things are hard. These things are outside the normal skill set of the average developer, video game developer. So why not hand it off to someone who knows what they're doing? Hence the creation of people like Versus Evil and similar publishers of their ilk. I could name a dozen right off the bat, but I won't. You know the ones, usual suspects, and Versus Evil is one of them, and they have a curation process which we delve into in this episode. I thought it would be really, really, really interesting to look behind that part of the process, to to find out more. And it's not the first time we've had a publisher on the show, but Versus Evil has, has got a, its own unique remit. And I thought we'd be many years since we've had one. So I thought, well, let's just look into this again, see how things have changed. 
since I last had a publisher on the show. So here we are doing that very thing. And it's a, it's a vital part of the video game industry. So without further ado, let us listen to myself from the relatively recent past talk to David about the trials and tribulations of publishing video games. Chris, take it away. Dave. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Tell us, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Dave Hulagard. Uh, I am the community lead for Versus Evil, a, a lovely independent publisher. Uh, I also do some work in influencer marketing. So I, uh, I get to touch a lot of different things in, uh, in the daily operations. It's, it's good. Wear many hats. Yeah, as we all do, generally <laughs> speaking. Like, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you're now the chef. No, you pretend <laughs> to be a chef. And you're doing all the things and tossing stuff around. Whatever. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's good to meet you. And uh, we're now going to delve into a little bit of your, your history now. As in, how did you make a start in the video game industry? How did you stumble yourself into this extraordinary world? Uh, it goes back a long way, uh, okay. actually. I uh, <laughs> I thought after I graduated high school that I would go to college and that I would raise money for college by getting a job selling video games behind the counter. Uh, and next thing I know, it's kind of a whirlwind trip from uh, being a customer service representative selling games to actually working for a retailer who purchases games. Um, and I, I got to... Um, do a lot of uh, buying and, and marketing for a major uh, company here in the U.S. Uh, it's no longer around, unfortunately, but they're called Game Crazy. Uh, and then from there, I got to meet lots of really cool people on the other side, on the publishing side. Um, I, I made a lot of good uh, contacts over the years, and an opportunity came up in 2012 to uh, go work for BioWare, which was my dream. Uh, I'd, I'd been dreaming of working for BioWare since the, the day I played Knights of the Old Republic, and uh, it was just one of those things where I thought, it'll never happen. It'll never happen. And then one day, the door creaked open just enough. And uh, and really, that I just never looked back. It was from that moment forward, I've been on this side of the industry, uh, on the, the developer and publisher side, and, and wouldn't change a thing. It's been an awesome journey. Wow, that is quite a journey. And <laughs> when, I, I may be wrong to do this, but whenever I hear the word Bioware granted many i found many people have an immediate game in their mind when you, people say that mm. uh and i'd sort of go oh yeah Baldur's gate <laughs> yeah you know, and it's like what like you go that far well yeah that was like that's where i remember them from and there's someone on twitter because they do this they sort of posted on the twitter and said oh this the the, the sparse girls video game came out in 1998 and i said really same year as Baldur's gate <laughs> and, and Half-Life. What a year for games, right? What a right. broad spectrum of entertainment, in inverted commas. But, yeah. And an expensive year, nonetheless. It was, especially if you're a Spice Girls fan. Anyway, but no, yeah, 98. It was one of those years. There's several years. I think 2010 is another one, and I think 2001 was a really good one as well. It's just, there was these little years mm. of just, like, ridiculousness. Oh yeah, it was, just, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. But you're, I think, what you're saying it's just that that draw, that seeing that door ajar. Mm -hmm. it's a, that's so important to know mm -hmm. that you are in the right place to actually press to push the door because it could have been someone else. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know. But uh, you you did the thing, you did the thing, and uh, <laughs> and the, yeah, it's because yeah, people on. always ask me like, you know, how do you get a job in the video game industry? And it's <laughs> it, it is one of those things where everyone's going to have a different answer because the the path is so different for everyone. There really is no like direct path, and no. and like you said, it's it's just keeping an eye out for the right opportunity and, and knowing that it's the right one for you and just going for it. Yeah, I do genuinely believe that the the industry is very different because it's still making up as it goes along to this day. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. No offense to yourself or your colleagues, it's genuinely are still making up as they go along. Yeah. Whereas much older <laughs> industries, much older mm-hmm. ones, are not. Right. And uh, because they've been doing it for a very, very, very long time. Problem mm-hmm. is, just because something has gone on for a very long time doesn't make it right. I keep on, you know, and I do think that many other industries could learn a lot from the video game industry. It's principally on the sense of collaboration mm-hmm. and empathy and creative and creative um, collectiveness between those. Because often I hear the story of a developer saying, "Trying to do a thing, can't do the thing." I know, I hoist the flag of help and I'll get some. Mm-hmm. Look, they'll get it. Probably yeah. some weird Reddit thread. But they'll get something <laughs> to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll stop, I'll stop watching videos about cats now and actually carry all the work. That's a good idea. <laughs> but, you know, because they just get stuck. But that's something that other industries and other creatives really are learning from and slowly yeah. realising that, Maybe I shouldn't keep all of my cards close to my chest and be protective about everything and not talk to anyone. It doesn't work. We're, yeah. we're social creatures. Yes, <laughs> you, you will get paid for your endeavours and you will do unique things with the things that we're helping you out doing. But, you know, it's still it's hard. It's, mm-hmm. it's much easier to make games than it's ever been before. And that sounds more insulting to say that, but I don't. it's true. It's... No one have said it many, many times on the show before, so forgive me for repeating myself, regular listeners, but no one needs to know assembly anymore to make video games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thankfully. There's just so many more tools, right? There are. And, and not, yeah. not even just more tools, but they're more accessible. And yeah. so, yeah, to your, your point, it, it never, it, it really hasn't been easier to, to make video games than it is right now, uh, which I think is, is really cool. Uh, and, and to your point exactly, it is a more collaborative industry than, you know, than just about anything else where everything is so much more competitive. And, you know, certainly like, you know, everybody's trying to carve out their own little piece of this industry, but you know, it's, it's way more collaborative than, you know, than people might think, you know, behind the scenes, especially. Yeah. And, you know, you have everyone from Ubisoft and that one person or maybe two people spending three weeks making a pot, which will be smashed by the player. But they spent three mm-hmm. weeks making it all to right through to the alter, the, the, the polymath who's done all the things, the music, <laughs> the graphics, the coding, everything. And we've had them on the show. Amazing people. But they are still makers of things. Mm-hmm. And they should, you know, they're recognized for their efforts. And that's why we're here. Absolutely. So we talked around it. Now we're sort of heading into the middle question the, the dreaded third question which many developers <laughs> and guests in the past have said no idea that's not true they come out of an idea but they've really we've had to tease it out of them but what do you think influences you as a person in this what is the thing that drives you what's the thing that you you get sort of inspired by and draw from and find yourself orbiting more than anything else 
That is a fantastic question. Uh, I think that one of the benefits of being in this industry for such a long time is that I've seen so many different eras, you know, of, of kind of how the, the industry has developed over the years. And even before I was in the industry, I was, uh, I mean, I've, I've been playing games since I was four, you know, since I was old enough to hold, uh, you know, a controller in my hands. So I, I think that being a gamer for a number of years and then getting to work in the industry for another, you know, giant chunk of years, it's really helped me understand so many sides to how this whole industry comes together or how it should come together. And part of it is listening uh, I wouldn't say like part of a major part of it is listening to the player, right? Like that is that is such a huge portion of of how uh, this industry should operate, you know. And and I think like that's that's been for me one of the most inspiring things in my role is not just listening to what people say, but seeing it become actionable and seeing the things that people ask for, the things that they suggest or recommendations, seeing that come to light. And then seeing our developers put it in the game, uh, that is is such a rewarding experience for me. There's always, of course, the danger of design by committee. That never works. But <laughs> as long as that those suggestions are constructive and mm -hmm. do actually make things better, um, but not for like that's one person saying, I want to have this certain aspect of the game. I like this aspect. Can we elevate it to a point where it dominates everything else? And then everyone else gets it. it just, it's, a, it's a very delicate thing. It's great yeah. getting that feedback, and it's great listening to that. And you know, uh, I do can relate to it in many regards, and especially listening and talking to developers on this show where they've had that interaction with the community, especially early access games when mm -hmm. they genuinely are early access games, and they are like, we think we've got this, but we're about ten percent not quite there. Can we help us out? Just get this over the line. Mm -hmm. um, and that's you know it's a worthwhile endeavor um yeah and yeah but like i said there's always that danger of like well they want that but they don't actually they're not here and they have they <laughs> didn't they didn't write the design document you know yeah um, yeah i mean you do have to filter that's that is for sure <laughs> and that's a skill in itself um because you can't please everyone yep exactly and uh but you just have to sit there and go okay let's take this on board what can we? What do they really? What are they really banging on about? They think mm -hmm. it's actually this aspect of the game, but in reality, it's, it's, it's a, there's a more global thing going on here. Mm -hmm. um, that's, speaking to someone who's just finished making his own tabletop game, sort of video game, but it's a tabletop game. Just finished it now, and we play tested it for good eighteen months, various, and we found like a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is all too complicated. This mm -hmm. aspect of the game is too complicated." And but they couldn't really explain how to simplify it. They knew it was too complicated, but they were leaving it to me and my fellow designer to go. Well, just make it simpler. How? <laughs> Could you just make it simpler. Oh, this is really thanks. So we did. And what was fascinating about that was that we we really focused heavily on simplifying to the point where it became dull. It was like this isn't very entertaining now. There's mm -hmm. no challenge here. It's just it's just not very intense. It's rubbish. So we had to then crank the needle up just a little bit to make it just a little bit more complicated, but not to the point where it's, you know, dull. And so that was all based on player feedback and community feedback and people telling us these things. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely, and that's a really laudable thing to say that, yeah, active listening, I believe, is a phrase <laughs> often used. Yeah. Yeah, just actually listening to it and responding 
to what they mm-hmm. said, rather than you simply waiting for your turn to speak. <laughs> yes, and and it's it's funny because you do start to see patterns develop, which I think is really helpful. So, you know, if, if people have um, constructive feedback for the game, you know, like you said, everybody kind of has a, a different thought on on you know what could make a game better or what could make it more fun. But when you start to see patterns develop and like more and more people kind of siding with this similar feedback, you know, that's when it's really like, okay, we need to take a look at this. You know, and there are you know, occasionally things that get suggested where it's like, well, we appreciate that that would make a better game for you, but, you know, we're not seeing that across, you know, kind of the, the larger community as a whole. Um, but I, I, I think that it's so valuable just so that people know that we're listening, you know, and, and that's part of my role is, is to help ensure that, you know, people do feel that their voice is heard. Um, we, we absolutely listen to all feedback, you know, uh, good, bad, indifferent, um, you know, we, we love it when people are, are more constructive than destructive, of course. Um, but at the same time, I don't I don't shy away from those hard conversations. If uh, if people are angry and certainly that has happened, um, I don't just hit ignore and and be done with it. It's, it's just I want to know why, you know, why is that person so angry? And usually when you can have a conversation with somebody about that, it, it really does kind of ease the tension. It relieves some of that that anger because people just want to be heard. And I think that sometimes anger is a, a very natural reaction when you just feel like you're, you know, you're speaking into the void. Oh, no one's going to read this anyway. So I'm just going to just going to say this. And, you know, when I respond and I'm like, hey, I we hear you, <laughs> you know, like, let's talk about this. And then it does develop into a, a meaningful, you know, kind of conversation and we can turn it around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's incredibly powerful to know that you're not just sort of slinging words into the void and that you are getting a response (laughs) and but we are talking a lot in abstracts which is difficult to listen to and this is why i brought in my example my personal example of playing that when you go into detail i've found people absorb that much quicker but you have to do the abstract first to understand Mm -hmm. what the concepts are talking about but no you've done a great job of illustrating points uh, and uh, yeah, good stuff. So the next question then. This one might be a bit tricky. You might not be able to answer it considering your position, but this, <laughs> this goes anyway. What video game developer do you admire the most and why? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, hmm. I'll give you more than one. You know, it'd be terrible. Yeah. I mean, on a on a personal level, uh, again, like uh, just to go back to Bioware a little bit, I mean, that that for me was really... The first developer that I started to really, I think, think about games beyond just, you know, just plugging it in and playing, you know, like right. not not really thinking about the mechanics behind what it took to make that game possible for me to, you know, to play. Um, Bioware really kind of opened my eyes to just how much, I guess, uh, attention to detail, you know, goes into video games, and and I think about. Uh, in particular, when they started introducing, you know, the the choice-based system, you know, of uh, games that they they started obviously with their their earlier games, and by the time they got to like Mass Effect, it was um, they had just boards and boards, like conference rooms full of boards with like little little post-it notes, uh, keeping track of all the the branches, all the different possibilities, and there are things that that I've even never uncovered. And some of their games, just because the choices to get there were just so specific, and and I really admired that, even if such a small fraction of the player base ever took that path, 
but it was still there. It was still there for them. Uh, I just, I love that kind of stuff. And, and really thinking about, thinking about your games beyond just making a game to make money. It's, you know, making a game that's developing a relationship with the player. Uh, I, I think, I think Bioware has done that consistently. And, and of course, like they've had some, you know, some stumbles along the way as, as everyone does. Um, but that's because they had set such a high bar that, you know, anything short of, you know, hitting that bar would, would just feel like a, a major disappointment. And, you know, uh, I also really uh, admire Naughty Dog, uh, you know, for their commitment to quality over the years. Um, they're a studio that, you know, I went back to, you know, like Crash Bandicoot. I, you know, I, I loved like the Crash Bandicoot series um, in the 90s and and kind of watching like how far they've come. Because I remember when they stopped making Crash Bandicoot and I was like, oh, what are they going to do now? And then, you know, look where look where we are, you know, with Uncharted and Last of Us and, and some of these very famous franchises that are just, I, I mean, consistently some of the best stuff that, that gets released from a AAA standpoint. It always intrigues me how people say, look, they came from Crash Bandicoot to where they are like, yeah, but Crash Bandicoot was quite an impressive feat if you look at uh, it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I that, still love it. <laughs> it's a, Yeah, we all know the warping textures of the PlayStation, which now people find charming. Um, you do people go oh look look, it's all going twisty and weird I know it's great isn't it like I still you know one of my favourite games on the Playstation is Quake 2 what an incredible feat that was squeezing that onto Mm -hmm. there but again all the warping stuff but people genuinely but going back to Crash Bandicoot it was just the lighting and the colours and the contrast and the way they make that game flow with relatively little I mean at the time it wasn't little the Playstation was an absolute juggernaut it really was for good reason Um, but even then they they didn't have a lot to play with but they just made it go (laughs) really made it go and that's why people you know love that franchise for good or ill so Mm -hmm. no good good stuff no I appreciate the uh, the candle and again back to the Bioware stuff yeah it's uh, I personally did really live Mass Effect 2 out of the, th- the th- three of them. The second mm-hmm. one was my favourite, I think. Mine know, the, too. The, it wasn't, definitely wasn't a difficult, difficult second album there. The whole no. It was <laughs> quite the opposite. It was kind of like it was the Empire, you know, Strikes Back kind of thing going on there. Yeah. They got it. They really got it. But, uh, yeah, good stuff. All right. Um, I, was, I was surprised not what you saying uh, Square Enix considering you know but anyway uh, <laughs> your affection I mean, to a certain day I could talk team. about Square Enix for days you know you would need multiple episodes yeah because there, there's, there's, there's a company that's gone through different things but probably not best to talk about now but yeah yeah there's a thing so let's move on to the last question of the first half see look you made it well done <laughs> so far um, here we go what are you playing right now, Dave? What are you distracting yourself with? Wow, uh, perfect segue to Square Enix because uh, it took me a year and a half to get a PlayStation 5. Okay. And after they announced Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrate, I was like, well, I'm going to wait until I can get my hands on a PS5. So I finally did <laughs> after, after all this waiting. Uh-huh. Uh, so I am now... Just now in 2022, able to play Final Fantasy VII Remake, and as a as a longtime fan, 
I can't even tell you how painful this wait has been, but uh, well worth it. I am I am really, really getting into it. And I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure if I'd have mixed feelings because the original is so near and dear to my heart. I've played it countless times. I've got hundreds of hours into it. So I thought, if they change too much, am I going to be, how am I going to feel about that? And within the first, geez, 30 minutes, I was like, there was an original? <laughs> I'm not upset. <laughs> wow. High praise indeed. Um, and this is someone who liked Final Fantasy IX. Anyway. I love Final Fantasy IX. Yeah, I'm there like... you go. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, but uh, you don't want to hear my story about oh, what my PlayStation 5. I could do it, but it'll just make you mad. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I was on the, on the day they were announcing the pre-orders, uh, I just got a little tweet from my local game store. They said, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, we're taking pre-orders for an hour between 8 and 9 a.m. on this day. One hour. Oh, okay. So I arrived, pre put the money in. On the morning <laughs> of launch day, on the morning of launch day of the PlayStation 5, I walked, because it's, it's a 15-minute walk away, to my local game store and picked it up and took a photo and put it on Twitter. The abuse I got... <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> and then they said, "How did you do this?" I said, "Because I'm me." Oh yeah, it's Chris. It's Chris. <laughs> and, and then, so I've had one since launch. Had one since mm -hmm. launch uh, because I knew it was I knew, because I remember I'm that old. I remember when the PlayStation Two launched. It was even worse. Oh yeah, it was even worse than that. And uh, I remember I said, oh, "Okay, I've been there before. I've, 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 it's not my first radio." I know it's like, I know I'm gonna have to do, and I did it. <laughs> and I was, I, what was really annoying to everyone else was like, well, why is anyone else doing this? This is how this works. Why is everyone right. freaking out? This is how you're supposed <laughs> to do it. You have a one-hour window to do your pre-order, and then you go and pick it up three, six, seven weeks later. That's how it works, everyone. And everyone's thinking <laughs> I was mad. I was like, I was the mad one. No. No, this is how. So I even got a one terabyte um, SSD in it now. So that's 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 a good thing. I recommend you do that, by the way, because it yeah, gives I'm it gonna more. have to. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit freaky when you take the shield off. It's like you swear to God you're going to snap it off, but it comes off, right? So, but, you know, and uh, but yeah, highly highly recommend it if you've got a screwdriver and stuff. It's fine. Um, but uh, no, well done on Final Fantasy VII. I've yet to delve into it. I'm playing a certain game. With the letter E and might have like a circle thing involved. <laughs> I'm just chomping my way through it. Uh, one of our uh, Jay uh, Jay Taylor, who's one of our founders of Cane and Rinse, 300 hours he spent on that game. 300. Oh, wow. Wow. 300. I'm going. Oh God. Okay. Well, I'm still having fun with it, so that's fine. I'll just take right. two away. Two away. <laughs> anyway. Let's uh, let us move on to the second half of the show. All right. Where we uh, ask some questions about versus evil.
All right. So, Dave, tell us, what do you think is what is versus evil? So, the origin of the name, I think, is so uh, so important to what we do because it, it's it's a, a it's almost a perfect description of what we do. So, our founder, uh, Steve Escalante. He had been in the industry for a long time, and he had had uh, kind of multiple um, different companies that he'd been been a part of, and well, on both sides, you know. And he uh, he got to a point where he was seeing just a lot of really kind of shady deals that were happening, uh, that were taking advantage of developers. You know, you had like these publishers who were, you know, trying to entice developers in with you know lots of lots of money promises of all these things and then once they signed on the dotted line you know almost instant regret of, of seeing uh how this deal benefited the publisher uh and not the developer so steve wanted to make a difference he didn't want that uh he wanted to create a, a safe place for developers that was an equal partnership between developer and publisher and that's where versus evil was born uh, was him taking his industry experience, his love of working with developers and indie developers in particular, and just creating a place where developers can make the game they want to make. Uh, there is a partnership, of course, and as publisher versus evil does, um, you know, we do offer our feedback as well, you know, when we, when we, uh, we take on new titles, but, at the end of the day, it's you know, the deals are are structured in a way that's beneficial to the developer, uh, and we have a, a, such a fair amount of of uh, uh, tools that we can offer, right? Like a you know different uh, marketing things that we can do, different uh, community things we can do. <clears throat> so it's it's really kind of a full service, you know, opportunity for an indie dev so that they can focus on making their game. Because ultimately, that's what a developer wants to do, right? They want to make their game. They want to stick to their vision and have all the time in the world to do that. And we're not we're not asking them to, hey, put that down, you know, come over here and you know figure out how you're going to get this game going on on Twitter or you know get your Discord up and running, right? Like that's that's what we're here to do. Uh, so I I love that Versus Evil exists, and I'm I'm grateful that I've known Steve for such a long time that when you know, when the stars align just perfectly where he needed somebody with my skill set, it was, you know, it was an opportunity for me to come over and help. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I've known of the company for quite some time, seen you at various booths and various events. Rezd is a, a regular, uh, appearance there. That's great. Um, and, uh, and, and other events as well. And just the, the, the games that are on speak volumes that kind of, titles that you attract and people you attract and it's quite laudable really um and you take the the fuss the anxiety the bits the business you know really programmers aren't great at looking at gantt charts this, this you know because <laughs> uh, the problem is they stare at them going where's the logic in these exactly <laughs> exactly where's that where's that milestone come from that makes sense. Is this even labor? Is, is this even resource loaded or is it just making up? Just don't. Just don't. And and this is what you want to take away from me. You don't want that anxiety for creatives. 
Yeah. They don't yeah. work to milestones. They don't work to bars in a Gantt chart. There is one somewhere along the line. It's best they don't see it, though. It's best they don't see it. Because <laughs> someone needs to present it to the accountants and the and all that kind yeah. of, those kind of people who do revel in spreadsheets and and can, and, yeah. and and mistake spreadsheets for databases and you have to tell them no they're not. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I'm, I'm sort of sharing a little bit too much there, but anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 really important that you do that because one of the things that a lot of people who don't aren't creatives don't appreciate and it comes comes up a lot in this show is how destructive the creative process is process is mm-hmm. a lot of stuff is done a lot of effort is spent on a thing maybe months sometimes years and they go actually isn't working is it yeah and that's okay that's okay um and but that's difficult for non-creatives to grasp because they think well time that's all you need is isn't it time and 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 effort and no, no, no. There's a special stuff called talent, and <laughs> and there's also another thing called uh, anti-perfectionism. Because the perfectionism is the the great uh, monster, the great creature of of death that no one, no creative, ever wants to get anywhere near. Because if they do, they'll never finish anything. Right. <laughs> so my next, my first question to you as a publisher, then. Is I'm always fascinated by this because of this aspect, and I think it's if it's not core to your business, then it's one of the one of the pillars. I would have thought. But could you talk us through, if you can, in abstract ways? I don't want you to go into specifics, but the curation process, the the the, 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 the your acquisition of, I say it's a terrible phrase, but you know what I mean. That the, the, <laughs> yeah. the finding of the talent, if you so to speak, the. <laughs> How do you what what do you, what is what is your process? Do you know? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Without revealing too much, of course. Sure, absolutely. So there's a couple of different ways. Uh, the first would be uh, a developer that is uh, familiar with us or has heard of us, and uh, they just want to reach out to us directly and, and pitch their game. Uh, that's I, I'd say it's probably the most common way that uh, a, a game is is brought to our attention, but. Um, you know, we're all avid gamers on the team. So, you know, we're, we're kind of like, uh, like prospectors in a way, you know, we're, we're kind of out there looking at uh, games that are on Kickstarter games that are um, uh, on steam, but are, are self uh, currently self publishing. Uh, and we may, you know, if we see something that just looks like a great fit that somebody you know on the team is really excited about, they'll, they'll bring it to, to the team, you know, and say, Hey, I found this really cool looking game on, on steam. And I think that this would be a great versus evil game. And, you know, from there, the, the producers will, you know, try to make contact with the developers, you know, as, as best we can. Um, and, and just kind of have a conversation to like, Hey, you know, you're currently self-publishing, but you know, have you thought about working with a publisher uh, and really just kind of get the conversation going from there. So I'd say those are kind of the, the main ways um, and, and once in a, in a rare while, it'll happen where somebody who's um, playing one of our current games will be uh, participating in, say, an open beta for another game. And, and they'll kind of connect us and say, hey, like, do you know who Versus Evil is? You know, like, they make this game that I love and, you know, I love your game. And we've actually had games come into our um, into our family via just connection from a, a you know, from a fan. So. Uh, it's it's a really cool way to um, 
you know, to to get to experience new games uh, that aren't pitched to us. Um, but then, you know, then the question becomes, you know, is this is this game a good fit for us, and are we a good fit for the developer? And that process is really just uh, getting access to the game, uh, even if it's just like a vertical slice. That's okay. You know, we just want to get an idea of of uh, what the game is, like what's the developer's vision, um, and then from there, it's it's time to start talking. You know, business, right? Like whether or not we we move forward. You know, if we like the game, we all we all kind of vote as a team on on the the games that we're considering. You know, it's like we want we want something that feels like everybody on the team has a, you know a stake in it, right? Like everybody is is supportive of this game um, because it's just not fun to work on games that people don't enjoy. So, you know, I, I really like this process, right? It's it's not like when I was at you know, like a triple A AAA publisher where they just kind of roll out the schedule. Like, yep, this is what we're doing and you're assigned to it. You have no, no say in it. That's just, that's just the game you work on. And I've worked on games in the past that I, I wasn't passionate about um, not throwing, you know, uh, negativity on any game out there, but you know, a game like army of two is, is not necessarily my favorite type of game, even though I can appreciate why couch co-op is fun. It just isn't my kind of thing but it was my turn in the rotation. So that's the game I was assigned to. And at Versus Evil, it's not like that. It's, it's so much more, you know, like what kind of games are you into? Like, you know what? Then you are the best fit to be working on this game. And so I think it, 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 helps, it helps serve the developers as well because you've got enthusiastic people working on their games. And, you know, it, that's how we're going to, you know, bring this game uh, to, to the public and show it in the po- most positive light is when there's genuine enthusiasm behind it. So this explains a lot about versus evil games in that they have a lexicon. Is there any way I can describe it? There's a language to them. Mm-hmm. There's a commonality to them. And it demonstrates this because there is, I mean, it's obviously now re- reason for this. It's by design. Not by accident, mm-hmm. it's by design because everyone mm-hmm. within the team or versus evil is actually fully invested in it. Yep, absolutely. So they they have a part to play. They they have a vested interest in it because they put their head up above the parapet. It was a terrible phrase, and said, "Oh, let's <laughs> let's. Well, I think we we should put our put our banner against this. Let's just let's do that. Let's hoist the petard and stuff. Let's do mm-hmm. what that means, and just you know, just 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 do it." we'll stake our claim on this one provided everyone's agreeable and of course the creators agreeable then let's go yeah i mean and everyone has that has the same uh, the same voice uh, on the team from the gm to the, you know to the community team and everybody in between you know we we all have the same you know the same uh like what do i say value i should say uh to our voice you know in our opinions it's yeah. it's not like well that's adorable but you know, we think a different way. It's yeah, yeah. it's never like that. Everything is is a is a great conversation and, and very very valuable. Indeed. My next question then is really about something that happened fifteen years ago. I have to remind people it was fifteen years ago, <laughs> not ten or five. It was fifteen uh, when. Um, well, I think it could be longer. It's really thinking more along the lines of when in 2007, that was an auspicious year, when mm-hmm. two things happened. There was the rise and rise of Xbox Live Arcade in the arcade 
and the arrival of the iPhone and iOS. And all of a sudden, the barriers of publishing games and look all Steam was mm-hmm. already out, but it's now become it became ever more relevant. And then all of a sudden, fell away, and uh, people did start self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And yet here you are, uh, versus Evil, as many other p- companies as well. Um, you are publishing games, even though technically you can actually self-publish, but we've already gone into reasons why maybe that's not the best idea for all games to do that, and that's the case. But one of the things that I want to latch on to is that, yes, you fulfil that role as publishers of, what well, in inverted commas, indie titles. Again, whatever that means. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what do you believe you and other peers, company like you, do for the release of a game and principally and this is unique to the medium itself i don't think many other creative mediums like film literature etc theater suffer from this quite as much as after sale so to speak how is mm-hmm. the thing supported so it's two pronged question really what do you think you do for games that are released and how do you make sure that they are looked after after their release sometimes months mm-hmm. years even more after their release what do you think you do as versus evil i mean it's a great question because you know we one of the things and i can't speak to everybody who's kind of in the, the same space that we are but one of the things that that i personally really value about versus evil is that we do have kind of access to a, a full suite of services so the the goal would be to take that pressure off of a developer. So say a developer is, uh, they're determined to self-publish um, for you know a number of reasons, but um, in particular, you know, they put out a game and the question is now what, you know? Uh, so Versus Evil, it, it really exists to help alleviate that. We, we want to remove the now what from the developer's uh, thought process so that they can focus solely on just making a great game. And, and that's that's what we want, right? That versus evil, it's like we we don't have a specific genre that, that we focus on when it comes to publishing games. We just want to publish great games. And there are uh, so many just amazing, fun, unique titles out there that might get overlooked without a little bit of extra support. And I think that that's the benefit of, of working with a publisher whoever that might be, but, you know, speaking from the, the versus evil perspective, um, I, I love watching games come in and kind of walking them through the process, right? Because once you, once the game has been signed and, and it is going to be published by versus evil, like that's really when, when we start to take, you know, our role in the process and that's, you know, doing things early, like determining when do we start a, a modest kind of social media presence? Uh, when do we start uh, a more advanced Discord presence? You know, when do we start working with public relations? It's it's really kind of mapping out a strategy that all kind of works backward from when do we think this game is going to be done? You know, so if we, if we know that this game is October of 2023, and you know we've we've got a little over a year to go. You know we can we can start looking at that. We can start looking at the milestone production schedule. Um, if that all looks good, then it's like okay. Well, what do we want to do to support those milestones? Whether that's just a, an update on Steam, whether that's like a new piece of content on social media. 
Um, it's really just kind of breaking it down. How can we help the developers tell these stories, but not just tell them, how do we amplify them? Uh, and I really think like that's that's something that we have crafted um, very successfully in our, you know, gosh, our nine years of existence now. Uh, we've just become very proficient at it. And uh, it's, it's the part that I enjoy. I love storytelling. I, I think like in, in my role uh, where I kind of have hands in community and marketing and, and some PR, like I, I love helping craft those stories because the developers just get a chance to just talk about their game. You know, like this is why this project is so passionate for them. These are the games that inspired them to want to make their game. And then we can take that information and just like, okay, now we'll amplify that. And here's the ways we're going to do it. Mm. And I think that that, that relationship between publisher and developer is so valuable. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, a great way to help bring focus onto these titles uh, in a way that maybe self-publishing doesn't always allow. And there are exceptions, of course. There are, there are a, a number of examples you could point to for self-published games that have uh, found an audience and been very successful. But it's not, it's not as easy as just no. putting out a game. And the relationship between developer and publisher has changed dramatically over the mm -hmm. years. Historically, it used to be... Right, that's the only way to actually really get yeah. a, a game out. Um, to the point where, if you go back way, way, way back into the early eighties and seventies, they didn't even they didn't name the developer at all. It was just like you know right. they, weren't, they weren't there. To the point where they had to sneak it in and go, oh, look, I made a game. Oh no, I'm fired. You know, it's, it's just you know. Oh, don't mind him. That's just the guy that made asteroids. Yeah, it's fine. Don't worry about him. <laughs> But thankfully, you know, the tide has turned. But it took a long time. That's but, true. You know, not everyone can make Dwarf Fortress. I'm just saying. So, you know, <laughs> it's just, that's, the, that's the title that always kicks into gear in my brain. Like, name a game that's self-made and published and people still talk about and play. Or some people play. Or some people just stare at it and go, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's... Uh, but, uh, okay, well... Really great answer to that question because it's something that I have to had to explain to people who have an understanding about video games development and creation, but they struggle with the role of the publishers in this environment. Mm. And I have to explain what you've just said, Dave, is so so eloquently. So thank you for that. It's really their role is not what you thought. It, you can't go back thirty years anymore. It's not that anymore. It really mm -hmm. isn't. That was uh, almost parasitical. I mean, the, the, the relationship was really quite broken uh, yeah. to the point where they, you know, many people walked away from the industry because it's just like, I'm not getting anything from this. I'm just being exploited. And it did happen. Mm -hmm. Can't deny it. You know, it's oh, not, yeah. you know it's, it was awful, some of the stuff. You hear terrible stories, especially in the mid-80s and early 90s. Awful. Mm -hmm. Awful. Which is ironic because the making games back then was even more, way more difficult than it is now. So it's just, it's awful. Anyway, next question. I want to, I want to talk about uh, Red Cerberus uh, okay. and, and their role. So, from what I gather, and what I've read about, maybe you talk about what they do and how they can help. But they're they're kind of an internal development team or collective. Yes. And uh, for what I read, they do localizations. They also do like. The, the porting and stuff like this. Talk us through, mm -hmm. where, where do they sit in the great family of Versus Evil? I think that's one of the other really cool things about Versus Evil mm. is, you know, I keep mentioning that we have a suite of services that, that we offer and, and Red Service is a big part of that uh, because there's, um, there's QA, 
uh, that that is handled uh, with Red Cerberus, which is a huge part of, you know, of course, putting on a game. Uh, QA is so valuable, so important, and we're we're very fortunate to have a very talented group of folks uh, down there to to help us with that. Um, localization, as you mentioned, uh, which is you know again trying to help get our our games out into you know different markets, um, and creatively, uh, like I personally get to to work with Red Cerberus on a, a design standpoint. So there are there are things that they can do. Uh, that range from you know if if I need help getting uh, getting video right if if it's like we we desperately need you know new footage for one of our games and you know Red Cerberus is equipped to to go in and give me like high res captures you know footage that I can work with um, but they also uh, have the the talented artists who can help with in game assets as well so uh, they really do cover so much ground as a as a creative partner for us. I think, yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, wow, that's an invaluable resource. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> and they're all really friendly, uh, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's an added bonus. Like, you, you can't put that on a resume, but, uh, you know. <laughs> no, because, no. No, put that on a CV, really friendly. <laughs> okay. Put that to the side. Okay. Right. So I'm... I- I'm going to use this podcast as an opportunity to say how friendly the Red Service folks are. <laughs> well, I'm sure they appreciate it. I'm really sure they appreciate it. So, last question. I know. Here we are. All good things must come to an end. And this one, I really struggled to really write out four times. I've tried. So, this it sounds a bit negative. But I think the only way to be to grow is to be self-aware and be self-critical. Agreed. Um, so, what is the? Okay, I'm going to write. I'm going to read it out. I don't like reading my questions out, but I'm going to have to because <laughs> I wrote it several <laughs> times. What do you think is the one key aspect of video games as a medium that is somewhat or often neglected or ignored from the perspective of a publisher? Hmm. I think that we've made a lot as an industry, we've made a lot of ground or we've, we've made up a lot of ground when it comes to inclusiveness. But I think that there's still plenty of room to improve. Yeah. So I, I am a firm believer that everyone who, who picks up a controller, who touches a mouse and keyboard, whatever, uh, everyone deserves to be able to see themselves in video games. And I think that we're continuing to make progress in that area. Um, but I, I think that it would be foolish to say that we've arrived. <laughs> that we're oh, there. God, no, that's that the <laughs> yeah. heavens. No, so, we've still got a long... I still remember those ads. Sorry, I'm old, everyone. I still remember ads <laughs> from the 1990s. Oh, boy. Just no. <laughs> now, if you tried to release that now, you would be rightfully arrested. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. And and I completely agree. It's a wonderful answer because, if I may, I, I'll give it a word, and it's not a word that people offer nearly enough, but it's empathy. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of games on this show where they anchor around the concept of empathy, but it gets so to the point where even the creator or the guests don't know that, they didn't see mm-hmm. that, because they thought, well, surely it's obvious. It's not. 
It's not. And it's true. It, just to be able to not be the white male person with blue eyes or what have you and just like, oh yeah, that's just bloke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have a friend of mine who who he he looks he he genuinely believes he looks so generic. He just like oh, I just I you know I could be in uh, like I am cosplaying someone in GTA right now <laughs> just by walking down the road because I'm bloke, you know. And it's like well, he is bloke model. You know, he's bald and he's got his beard and like pot bellied and it's just like yeah. He's like oh, I'll cosplay every day because I'm just. You know, pedestrian GTA. That's all I do. And <laughs> you're right. It's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. we need to do more. And no matter how many people scream about it, we all know I'm talking about the ones that mm. scream and moans have very, very loud voices. They've got exceptionally loud voices. They're extremely shrill about it. We need to say, that's that's nice, the white noise <laughs> of that. And no pun intended when I said that. Sorry. But, you know, it's just <laughs> like this, this, this. <laughs> That's what I mean by white noise, by the way. That that noise, <laughs> that's what it is. Because ultimately, you're going to... Because, you know, this whole gender thing as well, like, oh, no, video games for for children, teenagers, boys, males. It's, it's absurd. It just makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. And we've got, still got a long way to go with that. Yeah. But generations younger than myself have, like, so, well, sorry, I don't get it, but just video games. I don't understand why you're getting so wound up about whether a man or woman plays them. Well, apparently people do. But that's a wonderful answer. It really is. There's many different answers you could have given to that, but that one, that's the most human you could have given. And that's very versus evil of you. <laughs> so well done. Well done for being for being on you know, on on, on message there. Hey! Yay, corporate speak, everyone. You're Enjoy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um versus evil. Um it's a publisher of many, many video games, which many of which have been featured on fe- featured? Featured on this show. Um and uh, David's been really great having you on the show. Really has. Wow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's just been awesome to talk to you. Yeah, and uh, please do continue to feed us with yet more guests because we just love them. Um, <laughs> and we had the hand of Merlin on uh, about I think it's last 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 episode, so that was really good. And that's a, that's an extraordinary game. So I like my Arthurian legends, especially multi universe ones. Crazy, <laughs> right. crazy. I mean, I I'm I'm impressed with myself. I never once said you have chosen poorly in that entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's impressive well, i can't it? even do that no no it's amazing <laughs> but it just never came up i was like i'm well done i mean, no python jokes not even one you know i think i did it in a virtual green room about a holy anagrade antioch and stuff but no not once during the show i'm quite impressed with myself anyway dave cheers thank you very much thank you thank you you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. Mm-hmm.